the Seattle Opera Podcast. Hello, all you soldiers, cigarette girls, smugglers, and toreadors. This is Jonathan Dean, Seattle Opera Dramaturg and Carmen fan from early childhood. I'm here today with the great Phil Kelsey, Seattle Opera's assistant conductor, to talk not so much about Carmen as about the composer of this most beloved and popular of all operas, Georges Bizet. I became a, a nut about Carmen, honestly, when I was in elementary school. You must That was, I you became must a nut about Carmen when I was in elementary school. And it hasn't gotten old. Lost for, goners for life. Absolutely. Do you think Carmen deserves its status? Every bit. For me, Bizet had one of the most frustrating and disappointing careers imaginable. He wrote Carmen, he was 36 years old, died a few weeks after the lackluster premiere. It's an incredible shame with, with Bizet, who died I mean, approximately at the same age that Mozart did, but Mozart had been churning out things uh, <laughs> since he was a kid to great acclaim and great success. The other Bizet opera that has been done at Seattle Opera is The Pearl Fishers, which he wrote when he was just getting started. That kid, in his early 20s, wrote a score for Pearl Fishers that we still delight in. The tenor saria, the serenade. Soprano tenor duet. I like that soprano tenor duet a lot. That's where Wonderful. They're, they're going to be burned at the stake, but before we light the fire, let's sing about. <laughs> no, not that one. The one in the one in the second act. The one after her. Oh, area. when he sort of stumbles upon her. Yeah. And lots and lots of fun chorus and dance music. The score is just spectacular for a young opera composer. Very impressive mu- musical work. Right. I mean, I think Pearl Fishers is limited. Doesn't have the yeah. libretto. And I think it was you that, 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 that told me that the, the librettist subsequently. <laughs> <laughs> There's a story that they they apologized after they heard the the what, the music that this kid came up with. They're like, wow, if we had known that he was that good, we would have written him a better libretto. The Pearl Fishers. To me, it's one of those operas that has sort of interesting characters and setup, and it kind of. Right. It doesn't really go anywhere. By the time you, you know, there's a million different versions of Act Three. It's but it, wherever it goes, it goes there more successfully than Jolie Fille de Pet, which has which, the, truly which, the worst which, libretto. It starts out trying to be based on Walter Scott. It's got some names from some characters from Walter Scott, but <laughs> the situations are all stolen from operas that are. 
two degrees removed from Walter Scott that are then sort of recycled in a not very imaginative way. A but the score, the is, score is absolutely lovely and totally worth, worth listening to. You just can't put it on the stage. <laughs> the thing about Purplish is it actually does hold the stage. If it you does. Think, like we did the last time sure with does. Sandra Rhodes doing these amazing designs and lots of fun dancing. Mm-hmm. It's actually worth the considerable investment right. that a company like Seattle Opera is probably not going to make in something as dumb as Jolie Fille de Perte. Do you have a favorite piece from Jolie Fille? The tenor has some good music. The drunken baritone servant aria mm-hmm. gets anthologized. But is, I, for me, less effective than the tenor and soprano material. But, mm-hmm. but that show is well worth listening to. I was surprised when I would listen to Jolie Fee that uh, for some reason there's a dancing, seductive, gypsy, femme fatale mezzo-soprano in medieval Scotland, and she does this fun little sort of striptease number. There's another Bizet opera still before Carmen, and that's Jamile, a one-act opera. I don't know if it gets done very much. It doesn't have much. Play, it plays the exotic card over and over, kind of Arabian Nights uh, setting. Yeah, as far as I understand it, it was actually the man who was the, one of the driving forces behind Aida, who went back and forth between Paris and Cairo, Camille Dulocle, who oh. really wanted an excuse to put a whole like an uh, Egyptian setting on his theater in Paris, mm-hmm. and so had this poem of Alfred de Musset that turned into this libretto, which has kind of no point at all. The the dancing, sexy, exotic uh, woman captures the tenor, and that's it. I mean, it's basically an excuse for a big uh, belly dance number. We get that in Carmen, but we get so much more. What, what? And once again, Bizet wrote some very lovely music for Jamile for mm-hmm. a piece where you just can't imagine ever putting it on stage. <laughs> <laughs> These operas from this period, the French, maybe it's because they're you know racing the British to set up big empires all over the world, but they're sort of obsessed with Orientalism in all of their operas. It's there in Meyerbeer, who's the you know the dominant figure in the French musical scene, and his his posthumous opera, which is just a they finally did L'Africaine. L'Africaine, yes. yeah, where 
Vasco da Gama. <laughs> Setting yes. up Portuguese right. colonies yes. in the Southeast Asia. Pearlfishers typifies what to us is so bizarre. I mean, what to a 21st century audience where we have a, a better understanding of world geography. <laughs> but the, the pearlfishers theoretically, you know, it says in the libretto that it takes place in Ceylon or Sri Lanka. Nothing has, whatsoever has nothing to, do to do with that. Work. And the music, I mean, Bizet writing music that's trying to be exotic, yeah, it's non like, It's like Mozart trying to be Turkish. It's like a hand-me-down impression of an impression mm-hmm. of an impression and and a photocopy of a photocopy of right. a photocopy a long way away from the real thing. At that. least in Carmen, if he was going to have a, a Spanish gypsy character, then he made a point of actually going to some Spanish material. <laughs> There's a couple of things in Carmen that, did, that mm-hmm. are not by Bizet. No, that he, he incorporated one of them. I was surprised to learn this, uh, the thing that starts Act 4. Actually, originally written by Manuel Garcia, ah. the very first ever Count Almaviva in Rossini's Barber of Seville. Right. He was the father of uh, Maria Malibran and yeah, of Pauline Viardot, who was the ah, yes, muse of, of, of Berlioz. Yes. Um, so that one was uh, something that right. Bizet incorporates into Carmen. The other, Carmen's Habanera, right, right. comes which, from this other... He, he totally took from a <laughs> pre-existing song. <laughs> Sebastian Iradia, who was an ethnomusicologist who had been to Cuba, a Spanish guy who actually, it turns out he was the, the voice teacher to the Empress Eugenie before she, beca- when she was a little kid, moved to Paris with her, and that's mm. how they started doing his songs. And as far as I can tell, kind of the dive bars of 19th century Paris. Bizet, you know, uh, he did Carmen for the first time at the Opera Comique, which was a very sort of snooty place. If you read the original reviews, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who are just so offended by the idea of a sexually liberated woman that they couldn't even hear the opera. And let's face it, this is really verismo before the fact. It's a and slasher. It's kind of blood absolutely. and guts and crimes of passion. It's, it, 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 it's the kind of thing that 20, 25 years later in Italy was just the thing. But nobody had ever even heard right. of this kind of right. thing but in n- Paris. Yeah, they didn't do that at the Opera <laughs> Comique, right? <laughs> That's right. Violent death and crimes of passion were permissible, but only in operas with extravagant, exotic, orientalist settings. One such piece was the young Bizet's opera, The Pearlfishers, which we were talking about. Another, composed a few years after Carmen, was Lacme by Leo Delibes. Pearlfishers and Lacme have one funny thing in common. The most famous piece in each of those operas is a glorious duet for same-gendered voices. In Pearlfishers, that's the great tenor-baritone duet Au fond du Temple Saint. May, it's a gorgeous piece for mezzo and soprano. Mm-hmm. 
was shocked to discover when we did Lock Me Here at Seattle Opera that I fell totally in love with that show. And that whole score is just marvelous. We have a composer who spent his life mostly writing ballets, created this like real opera. Leo Dilip, who is a bud of Bizet's. I mean, they were all yeah, in it right. together. Yes. The other one, Camille Saint-Saëns, mm-hmm. was sort of around their age. Bizet. Right, but he, he, he lasted for decades and decades. In, and another in, Orientalist in opera, his best yeah. known opera, right. Sanson et Dalila. Right. Part of Sanson's output, which I, I find is not so well known in the States, but I find to be absolutely exceptional is his songs. The Sanson melody are fabulous things, which also reminds me that Bizet was... Uh, himself, uh, a writer of very, very nice songs for uh, voice and piano. Solo, and solo songs. Bizet was a pianist himself, mm-hmm. extremely gifted, you know, could have had a brilliant kind of Franz Liszt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Par- apparently he sight-read something of Liszt's <laughs> in Liszt's presence, which right, <laughs> few people could do. Made, it, made a uh, <laughs> big impression on the grand old man there. To go to a party and have Bizet there, maybe with a singer, you would have heard a piece like this Chanson d'Avril. We've got a recording of one of Seattle's favorite ever tenors, Vincent Cole, who did sing, I think, both Pearl Fishers and Don José and Carmen. One of the best Don Josés I've ever heard in 95. Vincent Cole, yeah. Vincent Cole here, he was superb. In the uh, Bizet song, Chanson d'Avril, that quintessential French tenor sound. Several years before Carmen, but the voice of Georges Bizet in there, part of it is in the harmonies. Or uh, specifically the way the melody and the harmony relate, which is quite individual. You would not mistake this for a piece by Gounod. The harmonies themselves... and interesting, but listen to what he does with this melody. Those notes at the end of each phrase 
Technically, they are dissonances that don't really resolve. They just hang there. Would be normal. Instead, he hangs out on the 13th. And by the time he resolves, we're in the new phrase. That would be normal. But what he does instead is. Wow. Very jazzy to my ears. And the reverse is certainly true because it's all the extended harmony things that the French classical composers were playing with, right, that got turned into. that turned into jazz chords. In Carmen, Bizet certainly builds on this expansion of a Western harmonic language. Yeah, uh, he, he absolutely does, and because we're so familiar with the score of Carmen on the first place, and because you know, we tend to focus on his great tunes, sometimes you don't notice that in passing, he's doing really fascinating things harmonically. In the second finale, for example, where she says, oh, you could come with us into the mountains where it's really good. What's going on underneath that? It's true that in the first performance of Carmen, apparently, a lot of they all thought Act One was great and they applauded it and so forth. And then Act Two, there was a lot of people at the second intermission just going, What on earth was that? For me, it actually starts, you start deviating in a big way at the end of Jose's Flower Song. At the end of the Flower Song, we're expecting a certain kind of cadence, and he concludes the way most tenors conclude most of their love songs Carmen, yeah. je t'aime. Right. And you'd expect wow. it to go something like. But instead, he doesn't do that at all. And then he starts the whole original phrase all over again, like it's a da capo aria and we're back where we began. Right before the flower song, the pivot point of the entire opera is this fascinating little moment where she's dancing around doing the castanets, doing her, her, her normal act, but a solo performance, a command performance just for José. And it harmonizes, it's so simple, it harmonizes absolutely perfectly with the offstage bugle call that's telling him, get back to barracks ASAP or else you'll be AWOL. And it's sort of the, the idea is actually a pretty good expression of a man torn in two, duty or passion. Do I go for... The trumpets or the castanets? <laughs> the, tr the trumpets or the siren song of the beautiful girl, mm -hmm. or my responsibility, my duty, my honor, my... If he deserts, he'll be a coward. He'll be uh, infam. He'll be infamous. When you put his two alternatives right with each other, they actually make beautiful music.
Carmen and Don Giovanni, considering that they are both masterpieces uh, and both incredibly popular, fail to work more often than they succeed. As theater pieces. As theater, precisely because these two iconic figures. It's about the seductiveness of the central character, the title character of both of those operas, John Giovanni and Carmen, that doesn't have to do much. Everybody's just magically drawn That's to this it. person because of their, their charisma, so their joie de vivre. You have to embody that incredible magnetism. Chausset is a mess. He completely goes off the rails. Mm -hmm. The and way so Elvira it, it, does for Giovanni. I mean, she Elvira. doesn't. Well, we've Absolutely had Elvira's Elvira. who come in with guns, and she's you know has kind of half-brain right. schemes that she's going to kill him but, or save him. She, well, but that's it. That's she it. and Jose actually both talk so much about they're, they're they sort do. of these religious yeah, yeah. Uh, thing. I've got to save you from she hell. Says, I'm, I'm going to right, and I will save you. And and yes, and we're right back in uh, uh, Elvira and, and, and Giovanni yeah. with gender roles reversed, mm -hmm. which is why it makes it so. I mean, it makes for such fascinating music theater, but it also means that. Yeah, yeah, there are, to get of, that there are a lot of Giovannis that just can't pull it off. And there are a lot of Carmens that can't mm -hmm. pull it off. That said, there's probably a lot of different ways to go about embodying the role of Carmen. That's true. It's not a difficult role to sing, which is why, you know, everyone from, from sopranos to contraltos has attempted to sing Carmen. And it all works. But it only works if you can be that amazingly compelling magnetic personality. It's suggested that Bizet, in creating the character of Carmen, may have drawn a little bit from a uh, acquaintance of his, uh, La Mogador, a woman who was in the Demimonde, who may have actually mm -hmm. sung the Iradier Habanera yeah. in those bars really? and so forth. Yeah, um, who was his next-door neighbor in his little place in the country. Well, she's a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating woman, mm -hmm. like Violetta in La Traviata, crummy start in life, became a fille inscrite by the time she was in her late teens, meaning a prostitute, you know, on the on the police lists. Mm -hmm. She was a became a famous dancer at the Bal Mabille. Everybody in Paris wanted to dance with her. Then she became an equestrian, broke her leg in a chariot race accident at the Hippodrome Circus. And in her recovery, she then seduced and became, or got as her patron um, a young aristocrat, dissolute aristocrat, the Comte de Chabrion. And he got her name off the list and made her a countess. His family at the time tried to, uh, you know, quell this whole thing by packing him off as French consul to Australia. He actually came back and brought La Mogador with him to Australia, mm -hmm. where she was known by, among the British expatriates there as the harlot spouse of that French consul. She wrote a lot of memoirs, she wrote a lot of novels, and then when she came back to Paris, she took over Offenbach's theater, the Bouffe Parisien. Imagine her, a few years older than Bizet, you met him on the train one night on the way back to their little suburban retreat, and here's this young, super gifted, somewhat immature composer and musician and arranger, and yeah, I think sort of fell totally under mm -hmm. his spell. And she was the kind of woman who made him certainly want to write this infinitely fascinating, super complex character mm -hmm. of Carmen. Here's a little bit from La Mogador's memoir, as spoken by our opening night Carmen, Ginger Costa Jackson. My character was formed early. I loved passionately or hated furiously. When I hate people, I wish they would die. Moderation is no part of my nature. Joy, sorrow, affection, resentment, laziness, work, I have overdone them all. My life has been one long excess. I feel with a passion that devours me. 
When I want something, I am willing to gamble 10 or 20 years of my life to get it as quickly as possible. When I take up a book, I want to understand it so quickly that the blood rushes to my head. I have always been capricious and proud. No one among women whose tendency it is to say yes derives more pleasure than I do from saying no. So the men to whom I have given the most are those who asked the least of me. Well, we've got nine performances of Carmen coming up soon at Seattle Opera. This is going to be a, a slightly different Carmen than we've ever done before. We've got recitatives. The piece was written as an opera comique with spoken dialogue. And it's very effective in that way. Certainly in this country, it has been the fashion for at least the past 30 years to always do Carmen with the spoken dialogue. Which then involves in the theater, yeah, miking all that, of the singers, because yeah, you don't want them you to... Have yeah. to have, you have an international cast of singers trying to talk French. You have a French diction uh, coach it, to try to make it, that, it, yeah. Right. It's also well, kind right. of a nuisance, I find, if for our audience, to give them lots and lots and lots of talking in a different language, and they have to read the whole thing in supertitles. Right. So, right. Uh, but it is the original piece, and it's very strong. Before that, it was always done with these recitatives by Kiko, which he wrote because they wanted to do a full opera, a version, and they needed it to be sung throughout. I think he wrote it for Vienna. Mm -hmm. So Giro, Bizet having passed away, wrote recitatives to replace the dialogue passages. And it used to be that's the only way you heard this opera. And now it's been really a long time <laughs> since we've heard it this way. So, oh, I mean, they're very effective um, recitatives. They just get you from as, the end as, of one number to the next. I think it'll help. I think we're it'll gonna, keep the momentum with, we're do it with going all the way through the show. Um, the director, Paul Curran, is fascinating and turned down many opportunities to do Carmen until he felt he could do it the way it needed to be done. Thanks for joining me to discuss Bizet, Phil Kelsey. The Seattle Opera Podcast is a co-production of Seattle Opera and King FM. Find more episodes at your favorite podcast provider or at seattleopera.org or king.org. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you like to listen. This is Jonathan Dean. Musical examples from Seattle Opera Productions of Carmen, the Pearl Fishers, and the Barber of Seville, from La Jolie Fille de Perte, and the great EMI recording conducted by Georges Brett and starring Alfredo Kraus and José Van Damme, and from Jamile, conducted by Lamberto Gardelli. Special thanks to Ginger Costa-Jackson, Vincent Cole, and Patrick Stevens. 